0: The song you're hearing has been called the anthem of Gen X. Beck's Loser reflects the cynicism and rebelliousness of slackers everywhere. Supposedly. But who is or who was Gen X anyway? And how is Gen X different from Generation Y? Does Gen Y even exist? And what about millennials and their avocado toast? Are they the snowflakes they're depicted as in the media? Well, hey, y'all. This is Word Salad from CGSR 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Word Salad is a show that explores language and identity once a month, bringing you music and stories with all the words, all the best words. Each show, we explore a word and all its richness and diversity. Today, generation. We talk about whether generational labels have any truth to them at all. Our show is in three parts. First, the dressing in which I, your host, Russell Cobb, explore my own love-hate relationship with the Gen X label. And next, we have the salad bowl. In the salad bowl, we have assistant producer Diana Chiang-Jurado and I talking with a pair of millennials across cultures from Canada to Ecuador. And finally, we bring you Last Bites. Last Bites is where I chew on the unlikely resurrection of a regional dialectical pronoun, y'all. So please stick with us. What generation do you belong to? Are you a boomer? Generation X? Generation Y? Millennial? A TBD? Generation me? Do you have a grandparent from the greatest generation? What is a generation and how does it shape who we are? Do we create generations or do they create us? Okay, so I have to admit I don't buy into any kind of psychic explanation about identity, especially ones that have this idea that you are predestined to be something, to have a certain kind of personality. I don't believe in Western horoscopes. I don't believe in the Chinese zodiac, palm readers, saints, spirits, Nostradamus, the Mayan apocalypse. I don't even care enough about it to believe in it. And that's why the idea of generations also rubs me the wrong way. I don't even really believe in them. So here's the thing. I'm from the year of the tiger. You would think I would have things in common with other people from 1974, 1987, 1999, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How am I supposed to believe that? How am I supposed to have anything in common other than an arbitrary birth year with those people? It's impossible. I don't believe it. Okay, but then I had this discussion with this guy. I really respect. This guy is very invested in generations. He really believes in generations. So much so that as someone born in 1982, a year that many people classify as the first year of the millennial generation, he sees it as his chore to educate people about millennials, to dispel myths about millennials, to explain who millennials are, how they function, why they do what they do. And perhaps most importantly, and this is what led to our discussion, and uh, maybe I could even classify it as a fight to take on baby boomers. Baby boomers to him are the worst generation. Baby boomers have destroyed everything for us. But who's us? And that's part of my problem with generations. How do we even define who us is? We have a hard enough time defining who we are in terms of nation, in terms of gender, in terms of race, ethnicity, religion, region, etc., etc., etc. And now we're going to throw in the idea of a generation, that somehow we have a lot of things in common, people who just happen to be born in the same year or in the same grouping of years as us. I still don't believe it, but still. Somehow I can't help but identifying with a generation. That's my secret. When I hear things that came out of the generation that grew up went to high school and graduated university in the 90s, I got to say, even though everything, my logical, rational brain tells me that they have nothing in common with me, nothing at least more in common with me than someone who was born in the 80s or someone who was born in the 60s or the 2000s, I still feel some kind of weird kinship with them. And here's where I have to admit that I'm from this this generation that was born between 1965 and 1980. So that's, uh, Gen X generation X. As much as I don't want to believe in Gen X, I get sentimental about it. Grunge music, slackerdom, hip hop before it went commercial. Pre reality TV. When MTV showed actual music videos of actual music played by actual musicians, Gen Xers, rebelled against commercialism. The worst thing you could call someone in the arts was corporate. That was a slur. You're so corporate, man. Okay. Now I'm starting to talk myself into believing in some sort of empirical reality of this generational label. So maybe there is something there. Now, if you're too young to remember anything from the early 90s, and that was the high watermark as far as I'm concerned of Gen X culture, let me just give you a little taste. Okay, so this is from the 1991 Richard Linklater movie, Slacker. It's filmed in Austin, Texas, one of the capitals of Gen X slacker culture. The movie has no plot. Nothing really happens. It's more like an ethnography of a certain kind of people digging into the anxieties and hopes of a, oh no, I have to say it, a hopes of a generation. But when I listen to this character talk outside a campus cafe at the University of Texas... I feel like I'm listening to the zeitgeist of 25 years ago. Okay, so here you go. Excuse
1: me. Hi. Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions
2: for a project we're working on? Sure. Did you vote in the most recent election? Hell no. You got less important things to do. Um, what do you do to earn a living? You mean work? To hell with the kind of work you have to do to earn a living. All it does is fill the bellies of the pigs who exploit us. Hey, look at me. I'm making it. I may live badly, but at least I don't have to work to do it.
1: What would it take for you to get a
2: job? Hey, I'll get a job when I hear the true call.
1: true call? You know, the
2: true call. I know when I hear it.
1: Anything else
2: you want to know? Yeah, it's something else. To all you workers out there. Every single commodity you produce is a piece of your own death.
0: What was your relationship like with your? Brother? End of interview. And next we have the salad
1: bowl. So hi everyone, my name is Diana, or Diana in Spanish, and um, I just recently graduated from the UFA, and I am assistant Russ with the show.
3: My name is Daniel Hofsted. I have no affiliation with the uni- university, <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully I want to go here one day I guess. <laughs>
2: um, my name is Madeline Morvioni and I graduated from McEwind and now I work for the Students' Union. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, this show is about generations. We're asking people, how do you identify with generations? Do, does the generation label mean anything to you? Uh, what generation do you think you belong to? Let's go ahead and start with you, Madeline.
2: Um, I think I'm a millennial, but I think in like South America it's like a different term. So like I wouldn't be called a millennial. But I don't know the exact term for it. But I consider myself a millennial. Like the things that they do, like all like avocado and toast and all that kind of stuff. Oh,
0: you're an avocado toast person.
2: (laughs) I am totally.
0: It's not a. Oh wow, awesome! It's really good. I'm gonna have to try that sometime. Daniel, what what are you? What what generation do you belong?
3: to? Same, yeah. '90s kid, millennial. Uh, Avocado and toast too. I gotta go. I gotta go. Gotta go with that. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the '90s, so I mean. Yeah, millennial for sure, one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, um, same as Madeline. I am a millennial, but I am from Latin America, and uh, as I was um, watching some videos yesterday to doing some research about it, I think uh, millennials all over the world and in different regions they are a little bit different. Like they differ depending on the culture too. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a millennial. You would say.
0: All right, so I'm outnumbered. Okay, so I'm, I'm as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm sort of the young edge of generation X, but I don't really believe in generations. I don't, I don't believe in them because I, I, for the same reason, I don't really believe in horoscopes or the Chinese zodiac. Like I don't understand why someone who born, who was born in the same year as, as me or in the same era as me, I necessarily have anything in common with them, but that's just my own personal opinion. So tell me a little bit about what you think. You just started to hint at it. I guess a few of you I hinted at what uh, defines a millennial, but what do you think for you? What is what defines other than avocado toast? <laughs> what what kinds of things do you see that uh, you have in common with other millennials? Who wants to jump in?
2: I'm gonna say that I consider myself a nonconformist, so like I always want to be out there, I don't want people to tell me what to do. Like, if you say something like, well, things have been like this for years, I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to change that. And I think that's what makes me, like, as an individual, a millennial.
0: You see that as uh, something that you have in common with other millennials? What do you think, Daniel? Do you have that same thing?
2: Yeah, well, I
3: mean, sort of, yeah. I mean, I think that the mindset for people at a certain age, especially at a certain time in their lives, in a certain economic situation or even where they are with, with, with their job, um, you kind of feel a certain way and you have, you know, grudges towards certain parts of society and you want to change it. Right. So I think like if you're 20, like I'm 27, if you're 27 or you're 24, I mean, when you're in that time of your life, you, you look at things in a in a certain way. So maybe like if you're, you know, like you're in the tail end of Generation X and someone who's in the beginning of it, very big gap difference, like things change in that, in that amount of time. So I think that, yeah, you definitely have your your comments and your differences as well.
0: What do you think, Deanna? Do you do you share that nonconformist uh point of view with Madeline?
1: Well, I think as millennials we do have a little bit more of uh, let's just say social conscious. Oh, you think you do? Yeah, oh. like <laughs> like oh. we're more aware of environmental issues and like pollution and uh yeah, like we try to be um more understanding and empathic with people. I guess.
0: Okay. Um, I want to eventually get to the, the cultural differences and see if there are. Well, you alluded to them that there are cultural differences between maybe a Canadian millennial or a Latin American millennial, also within different languages. But before I get to that, I gotta do something. I gotta. I gotta give you some pushback, okay? Because I want to have you respond to. What people say about millennials, OK, because this is when people generally bring up the millennial generation and I'd say like their parents, especially the things they'll say about millennials is they'll say, well, millennials, they just they're not maturing as fast as previous generations. They're still living with their parents for a long time. They're spending money on things like fancy lattes and avocado toast rather than saving to buy their own apartment to further their career. They're too idealistic. They're on the internet all the time. They're not doing real things. What do you guys think about those stereotypes of millennials? Do you think there's any truth to them? Do you think that... um, the olds are being just dinosaurs and and they just need to wake up, they don't get it, or what? What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, there is a reason why there's different generations. They completely think differently. And back in the day when, like, you could afford to have a minimum wage job and then raise a family, have kids, have a house, it was way easier because, like, Back in the day economically, it was different than it is now, so now, to try to do that minimum wage, going to school, doing this, that, and that, it's almost impossible like you literally can't do that. You need the help of your partner or your parents to achieve like even going to college. so I think that a lot of people a lot of older generations see that as like, oh, you know, cry babies like i had a I had a way worse like I had to work and go to school too, yeah, but what you were making. And the pressures of society
1: weren't the same that they are uh, today.
2: So I think that's a huge difference. Yeah,
1: like and regarding school, like I've talked to my mom about it. Like she was like, "Yeah, but I I also had to go to, to university and stuff." Yeah, but now it's different. Like now I can get a professor email me or contact me um, faster than before, or like and th- they expect you to do more work because you have like the information right and then the internet right like right in front of you. So I think it's, right now, it's also from what I've read. It's like millennials, we are probably the generation that it's the the most educated in terms of going to university. And the millennials are the ones that have gone to university the most compared to other generations. That's
0: interesting. Daniel, what do you think?
3: I kind of sympathize with my parents a little bit because, I mean, everything is so different. (laughs) Like, everything is a distraction. Like, you look at... Even kids nowadays, or even, like, me when I was younger, like, I was playing video games, and I have my cell phone now, I take it everywhere I go. And they see that maybe as, like, a, as, like, a, yeah, what it is, a distraction. Like, oh, I'm not going to go get a job because I'd rather play my video games or rather be on my phone or whatever. Times are changing. Times are different, right? So I can see why someone would be like, oh, they're, you know, they're living at home and they're 22 years old. Times are different. I mean, you have to just, you have to look at that. And, like, what Madeline said with getting a job, like... You used to be able to, you know, raise a family on seven dollars an hour, but minimum wage now is, you know, hasn't hasn't increased with the
0: cost of living. Do you know what what generation your parents are from? Sixties, so that would be baby boomer. Baby yeah, okay. yeah. So they're baby boomers. Okay. How About you,
2: um, my parents are also from the sixties.
0: So baby boomers. Okay. Do you know?
2: Baby boomers.
1: Too. Okay, so
0: we're missing baby boomers. Okay, we we we're missing we're missing a lot of generations here. Of course, oh, um, unfortunately. What do yeah. you
1: think about millennials? Like, you are from Generation X, right? Well,
0: like I said, I mean, the caveat to me is I think a lot of this generation stuff is very overblown. I think um, there's just so many differences within generations that it's hard to it's hard to generalize because I see just within my generation I see people that are that fit the label. We got the label of slackers. We were the slacker generation and I definitely see that. But just within my generation, I see a lot of uh, diversity and also with millennials. However, so that being said, (laughs) that being being said, I do see certain trends. I got to, I have to admit that I see certain trends hold up. One, I think that uh, millennials, they're actually harder workers. Then my generation, then Gen X, the people who were going to university in the 90s that weren't, you know, actually had just graduated high school and did most of their university and then their early career in the 90s. That's what I was. We kind of were slackers. I mean, compared to the university students I see today. I mean, I have a lot of university students and I've seen a lot of them for the past eight years. And they're often just very ambitious, and I, I think I would have never done that when I was a, when I was a student. I just held back. I went to class, and and then I partied, and and you know, university wasn't that expensive, so yeah, I did like I worked maybe ten hours a week in some boring minimum wage job, and and then when I got out, I thought, well, you know, I'll get an apartment. Apartments weren't that expensive. Live on my own. Get another minimum wage job. And, uh, you know, do the things that I was passionate about. And that was, you know, so the things were like music, right? So I do see that millennials, there's, there definitely seems to be much more, much more pressure on you guys. I'm really impressed with millennials. The other thing though, is I do think the constant distractions of the internet and of screens, but they, but that affects all generations too. I think I'm just as affected by my phone and Facebook and Twitter and all of that as any 20 year old. Um, so yeah, that's what I think. Um maybe we should get to the cultural differences. I mean, one of the things that I've been struck with when i've we've been talking about generations and Deanna and I have been passing back information is that different cultures and even in different languages different generations are defined differently in North America. It's a pretty clear divide that you had your World War II was your greatest generation. So my grandparents, I guess maybe your great-grandparents or maybe your grandparents too. Uh, yeah, grandparents. Okay, so we, could, we coincide in that. Um, not that much older. Okay, so our grandparents were the greatest generation. Um, my parents were like the very beginning of the baby boom, like right at the end of World War II. Your parents also uh, baby boomers, this is sort of the tail end of the baby boomers. So we know that that baby boom coincides with a great a period of great prosperity, right? They come back from World War II. There's a lot of jobs. There's even working class jobs pay well. Like you said, you can get a you could get a house. Housing prices were very cheap. They were subsidized. It was easy to raise a family. Then Gen X, my generation, we started to see recession, uh, unemployment. But you know. Cost of living was still pretty cheap, I got to say. And now with your generation, uh, the millennials, we see increasing um, social inequality, economic inequality, all these sorts of things. So that's pretty clear the trend in North America, right? And I think we can all we can all kind of more or less we can say, oh, you know, give give or take a few years here, we can agree on generations. But what about in different cultures? I'll start with you, Deanna, because I know your your background a little bit more. Um, you're Ecuadorian,
1: a hundred percent,
0: a hundred percent, a hundred percent, cien por ciento. All right, okay, that's good to know. So, well, since you have that Ecuadorian background, why don't you tell us, our do people think of generations differently in Ecuador?
1: Um, so in my opinion, like, we really don't talk that much about generations in Ecuador. Like, it's not like, a, like oh, they, they are millennials or they are the baby boomers. Because I, well, I was talking with my mom about this a little bit. And the um, Second World War, I don't know to which extent it affected um, South America or Ecuador. So, like, would she be considered a Baby boomer, or it's just like um, since that's how they categorize it in North America. That's how the rest of the world is supposed to see it, right? Mm, Because culturally, it's different. Like when I was growing up in the the, like, we had a really good economical situation in the '90s, and then in the 2000s, the economy of Ecuador just went down. Like, and everybody lost their jobs. A lot of migration happened. Millennials from my generation also got affected differently because of the economical like depression you could say yeah
0: so those economic cycles yeah. kind of determine so many things about generations i mean the baby boom generation happened because of the great prosperity and so many there's just so many of them right and ecuador it's it's different right yeah, it's not di-
1: the history, I don't, I like I said, I don't know to which extent, like the Second World War, must have affected Ecuador yeah. in the same way did the United States or, Euro, or even Europe, right?
0: Yeah, I was talking to a Mexican friend of mine about this yesterday, and she said World War II was great for Mexico because so many Americans went to war that really the U.S. actually opened the borders for a long time, and so a lot of Mexicans got to fill good working class jobs in the United States. So it led to prosperity then, right? So again, very different. Daniel, tell me about your background. Are you Canadian? Canadian. Canadian. 100%, <laughs> 100% Canadian. 100% Canadian? 100%? So we have 100% Ecuadorian, 100% Canadian. So do you, I mean, I'm American. Do you think we have the same definition of generations? Is it a little bit different in Canada? or? You know what? I'm pre-
3: I think it's pretty close. I mean, yeah, we are separated by a border, but really, that's pretty much it. People can say there's a huge difference between Canadians and Americans, and I don't really
0: see it all that much. So much of the media and economies are just intertwined. It's it, there is very little differences. I mean, there's some cultural differences, right? Like hockey and that sort of thing. I mean, I I, I still don't understand. <laughs> Like, I just learned, like, what icing is, like, during the playoffs, because I have never watched a full hockey game until the Oilers made the playoffs, and then I was, and then I became a bandwagon guy, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm better late than never, right? Well, I'll go to you, Madeline. What? Give me a cultural sketch.
2: I'm also 100% Ecuadorian. Me and Diana come from, like, very similar backgrounds, so, like, my experience and her experience are very much the same, but... I remember you saying something about like how like millennials work so hard Mm -hmm. and I think that that's also part of like per se Latin American culture. I grew up knowing that I don't have anything for granted and then I have to work really hard for it regardless of that being me my parents teaching me that or me being a millennial but when I went to school as an international student here I literally had to like work my butt off Mm -hmm. to like prove myself that I can do it that not only can I live in another country and do everything by myself but I can also study and graduate and I think that happens with a lot of people from all over the world especially South America it's like you have something to prove like you know that you have to work extra hard for like and not not trying to be shady but for what per se a Canadian has to prove when he goes to school like we have to work like extra hard for that recognition
0: so do you think that because we have all these different labels right and these different ways we identify and it sounds like In terms of generation, you feel that there's a sort of affinity with other millennials. But it sounds like there's also a more important identity marker for you, if I'm reading this right, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is the divide between Canadian and immigrant or Latin American and and Canadian.
2: It's not that I'm trying to make a divide. It's just like I'm just trying to explain, like, the mindset that a lot of... Latin American immigrants have. It's it's just kind of like you know I have to make my parents proud. They're spending all this money for my education. I have to prove something. I want to be the best. I want to get recognition. And most of the people, not everyone obviously, but most people that I talk to, they would like agree with me. They wanna have that. They they want to be recognized. They want to make their parents proud. That's I think that's like very important. At least for me, the fact that my parents came from ecuador to canada for my graduation and my mom was crying like to me that meant the world it's like i did it like you know all the
1: hard work paid off and i think it's the same for everyone like i'm sure diana yeah, feels the same way i agree yeah in terms of uh like uh, ecuadorian millennials or latin american millennials i also found like while doing some research um before the show is that uh Latin American millennials we are considered more like entrepreneurs compared to like European or North American millennials that they would just go work for somebody but and I think it this has to do a lot with the economy in the country like if you really want to have a a successful like economical life, you have to own your own business in countries in Latin America, which i when i when I find myself talking to people from North America. I don't hear them saying they want to start their own business, but I have a lot of friends who do that in Ecuador. Yeah. They sell things. They have their own business, like online businesses. I don't know. Are they online too? <laughs> yeah, like, or some of them, they just they just start, like, in agriculture, I have this friend that just started commercializing uh, cacao beans and stuff, like just on his own.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, and I, I, I've noticed that with millennials. They seem to, you guys always seem to, like, come, find some little niche and then create some beautiful internet site and then start selling it online and uh, wow that's 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 i think that 's actually incredible um, when I see millennials do that i think that's that 's pretty impressive i mean Gen X I can say at least my cohort of Gen x people we also sort of had a a rebellious streak because we were sort of the first generation that was born after the baby boom, right so we saw the baby boomers. And we felt like we didn't want to be like them. Right. And that's kind of the hallmark of a generation. Right. Is you don't you want to rebel against your parents. And I think we all wanted to rebel against the baby boom and didn't want to go into these stayed corporate jobs. Right. Because they would get these perfect jobs where they worked nine to five and had a perfect suburban house. And and. My generation, remember, is the generation of grunge. It's it's Nirvana, gangsta rap. It's the first generation of gangsta rap. It's um, that sort of thing. It was it was rebellious, you know. And the difference, I think, is millennials are also rebellious, like you said, Madeline. A little nonconformity. And Deanna said, you know, mentioned um, sort of more of the political, especially environmentalism, being a big thing. We had that as well, but I think we didn't we didn't really channel it into anything. (laughs) <laughs> we we didn't channel in anything. We just, you know, we didn't have the Internet yet. I mean, the Internet was in its infancy and we didn't think it was actually going to be anything that would actually transform society. So we sat in basements and, and played in, you know, hip hop and grunge and punk rock bands and put it on a cassette tape and shared it with our friends. And that was that, you know, that was the end of the story. We we're very politically apathetic. I mean, I think we may have sort of been rebellious, but not necessarily politically uh, engaged in the way that, that millennials are. Millennials are always like starting these petitions and and <laughs> GoFundMe pages, pages and everything. You know, GoFundMe pages and <laughs> and join this thing and it's going to go viral and so it's 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 pretty impressive. Okay, so cultural differences between generations are there. You shared with me, Deanna. You shared with me a Colombian comedian who actually had different generational labels. Yeah. Do you remember some of those labels what they were and
1: Well yeah like I'm, I I would be from a, like according to that comedian I would be from a completely different generation than Madeline cuz I was born in 91 I was born in 93 yep.
0: Yeah. Oh. oh such a huge <laughs> 90, <laughs> difference <laughs> yeah. but, oh 91 yeah, like, like, and 93 um, <laughs> it's
1: it's kind of funny because it's it's not like a big difference but it's like saying like my generation we all have like best friends and we all want to do things together like what's we the all, label like,
0: what what did he call it
1: uh, it's the same like generation uh, y yeah like it's it's different like um it's just uh uh, that we want to do things together, that we always want to gather to do something and just see, uh, like, stuff like that. It's not like, it's just comedy, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, like I said, we all have best friends and that we are, like, the, the beautiful generation. Like, uh, we all think everybody's beautiful.
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was 91 and then 93 like what would her generation be
1: i think generation z so her generation it's more the one that it's involved and in with technology and stuff
0: yeah so i yeah a really good friend of mine um was born in 1982 and he's sort of like the leading edge of millennials and this is how we kicked off this idea for doing this show on generations because he's convinced that baby boomers are just the worst <laughs> that they're that they've destroyed everything and, and he's like, they're the worst. And he's like, and he's like, they think they're the best, and they the '60s, and you know, this great quality of life and everything. But they just destroyed. They just not only did they de- destroy everything for everyone, they're the ones who have created the negative stereotypes of millennials as just these self-absorbed, narcissistic kids who, snowflakes. yeah, and your snowflakes, your sensitive snowflakes who spend all your money on avocado <laughs> toast. Um, <laughs> what other what other differences would there be in terms of thinking about generations.
1: Um so what do you think and um, Daniel you're Canadian and like we're from the same generation like um and you you, you live with Madeline right ha, have you seen any differences like uh, as far as generation goes or... well, well
3: you know what <laughs> she touched on it she's like she she said she said you know especially for education where like where like where she's from and how her family deals with your education it's very different than how my family deals with education um my mom and dad were just kind of people were just like you know as long as you're not a jerk in life you've succeeded and it doesn't really matter if you have these big fancy uh you know you know school stuff right um that's totally different with with uh, her family <laughs> uh yeah they really expect a lot of her and I guess that's something I kind of admire about her and about just I guess even like people from Latin America it's so different so very different like when I went even when I went to Ecuador to go see her family and obviously I went with, met with Diana as well it was very very different mm-hmm. it was like so what do you do for work oh I do this oh, where'd you go to school yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. about that yeah and it's it's like it's expected it's very very different
1: yeah especially it it, well i think it depends more on which social economical status you belong to and uh, especially if you're middle and or middle upper class or upper class your parents it's not like your decision to go to college they will you have to go to college
2: yeah and they like they ask you like do you want to be a doctor a lawyer like an architect pick like if i go like oh I want to be a social worker. My mom will be like, you want to be a what? I, did I hear you want to be a doctor? <laughs> so it's, it's even that. Like, they really push you to do what they want to do.
0: So so when you guys are talking about this, is it, is it the difference between Ecuadorian immigrants? Or are you saying even in Ecuador among um, middle upper middle, class to, middle to middle. Oh, upper even class in
1: people. Ecuador, yeah, it's, like, yeah. Within Ecuador, yeah. The, pressure the, pr- pressure the pressure is there. Is there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, if if I was going to school and I was to date someone, let's just say that is not. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it doesn't have a degree. My parents w- will it, like even if out.
0: he's um, upstanding young man uh, with a good job.
1: I mean, it's hard to get a good job without a degree in Latin America. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that's another thing, and it has to do with the economy too. I think that's why your parents push you so bad to go to college, because even with a degree, it's hard to get a job there, and without one, pff, yeah. you're not even. I mean, the minimum wage you earn there is so bad. So yeah,
0: Daniel, did you notice that when you when you went there? Yeah,
3: it's almost like a name tag. You know, like when you when you go there, it's like, "Hi, my name's Madeline." I am an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like almost could be her last name. Yeah. Her last name is engineer, or her, her last name is uh, architect or whatever, right? Uh,
0: ra- radio producer. Sure,
3: radio producer. So, no, yeah. <laughs> I, seriously, it's crazy. Like, that's like a part of your identity. You can't, like, here it's not your identity. What you do is not your identity. Like, if... For example, I'm a travel agent. I don't just go around and say, I'm so proud to be a travel agent, which I am, but it's not like it's, you know, I went to school for six years for it.
0: Okay. This is interesting. Okay. We've actually come to like a, a generational divide that I didn't know existed because I think certainly with baby boomers and even into Gen X, like we still, when I go to parties and I meet people that, that I don't know, I got to say, I still think probably the first question is what do you do? And I... The thing is, like you're saying that, and I've just noticed that millennials often—they're a travel agent, but they also have some special Instagram page where they sell—I don't know—mason jars, or or they have, or they're—they're a teacher, (laughs) but they also. I don't know. They, they make these like cool, whatever woodworking thing they do. So they're like doing all these kinds of different things, side hustles, I guess you call them. And I, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, this radio gig is my side hustle. So <laughs> I just don't make any money at it. But um, yeah, but still I think my, my, when you go to, when you go to parties, do you not go, uh, oh yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. What do you do? You know, uh... Or that would be question number. Never. That's not question it's, number one.
3: It's down the road. For I, I think so. I don't really go to many parties though, so I'm kind of a. Yeah. Well, what if you just like meet
0: things. people though? Like, in the on the, you know, if you're like meeting her friends, yeah. do you do you go? You don't say. What do you do? Her friends. It's a whole different story. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. It's like,
3: hey, hi, Daniel. How much money do you make? <laughs> just kidding.
2: No, they actually, they actually <laughs> ask him that straight up the first time they met him in Ecuador, and I was like horrified. Really? But then. But then I remember, yeah, we're here. I guess it's it's, and it was it's okay for everyone. They're like, oh yeah, how much are you making as a travel agent? And like something that you wouldn't just ask someone right away when you meet them. But I guess it's okay in Ecuador.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty taboo here. I think um you just kind of have to ask around. It you're kind of like, oh so, yeah. how's uh <laughs> you know what was it like getting that job? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Do do you guys, uh, Deanna and Madeline, do you do you have that when you go to parties, or maybe not necessarily parties, or just meet people, meeting groups of friends or friends of friends? You don't say, oh, so what do you do, or what job do you have, or that's not the first question you ask
1: actually like even with my old friends like when we gather like just say like a high school meeting or something and um, then when we see each other it's like so what are you doing right now (laughs) so it's more like yeah we want to know what are they up to like more more like more professionally and it's like usually in Ecuador too and I was talking with my brother about this and it's um People there usually say, oh, he's doing good. He's doing good, like referring to like if he's making or she good money or like he or that person has grown professionally. That's like the meaning of being successful in our culture.
0: So do you think that maybe one of the differences in generations is that millennials maybe define themselves less by material success than previous generations?
3: I think that's fair. I think so. I, I know some people who are they take pride in how minimal they are and how much they can just they can get up and leave and go whenever they
0: want. They they take pride in that? They they talk Absolutely.
3: about it? Absolutely. Yeah, or you like you go visit a friend or someone you haven't seen in a long time and I mean maybe it's different than it is in Ecuador where it's like if you have your big fancy house and you you know your pool and all that. Um yeah, you go visit a friend like I recently went to go see a friend I haven't seen in a long time and I and his literally he had nothing and he was just like, "Yep, the happiest guy in the world." I think, yeah, maybe we just care less about material things, but I'm sure there, you know, obviously that's not a generational thing. That's just a personal thing, but maybe it rubs off on the generation too.
0: It could. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have a friend who's like that, maybe you say, oh, I, I can, I can do that too. I can, uh, uh, but, and I also, well, I, I wonder another thing about generations. I got to wonder is with the stereotype of millennials, right? How much of that is just because millennials are still young and you, guys don't have families generally or families of your own. Right. I wonder how that will change. Like if we do this show in, in uh, 15 years from now, (laughs) if if these things will have changed because Gen X, right. That when when we were that age, it was all about rebelliousness and being anti-corporate. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the worst things you could call someone when I was, you know, 23, someone else is, oh, that's so corporate, man. You know, it's like a sellout, dude. You're like, you know, you're going to work for the man. And that was the horrible thing, like it was to be corporate. But now a lot of those people, hey, they just want to have a job because they have two kids and they're still trying to, like, we're still trying to pay back our student loans and want to be able to retire someday. Right? So, um, <laughs> you know, I wonder if, Um, people become more materialistic as they get older
2: I don't know like I personally think at the moment that I am right now in my life every single penny that I save is to travel to me it's traveling and going out to eat and going out for new adventures it's not so much like I want this car I want this house and I want like me personally I don't want to have kids and the reason and I think that's I think actually that's a millennial thing because I talk to a lot of people and they have kind of the same reasons um, that I give for not wanting to have children, which is like, you know, not being able to have enough money. And like the world is a really mean place. And like, you know, there's so many things happening right now. So like a lot of people would rather just. Use that money in experience. Go travel. Go, you know, meet another culture. Live somewhere else for like a couple of years. Like, which is what I want to do. And when I say that to my parents, you know, they they go crazy. They're like, "What do you mean you don't want to get married? What do you mean you don't want to have kids? What do you mean the house, the car?" And to me, having a hundred thousand dollar car is nothing to me. To me, that's empty shell. Like, okay. it's what is you.
0: This is something interesting because I've noticed. With, even with my generation, even with the rebelliousness, we all wanted to drive. It had to have a car. Even if it was a beater car, you had to have a car. Do you guys drive?
1: Uh, I have a license. I have a license. I drive, but I don't have a car here. I drove in Ecuador, but not here. I don't have a car here, yeah. Wow.
0: I mean, we're talking Edmonton, Alberta, like one of the most <laughs> car-centered cities. That's that's really impressive.
2: Well, the ETS is pretty good, so I yeah. I really don't need a car.
3: And with that also, um Edmonton is it is a really car center, but it's also really easy to get around. I mean, you just have to budget yourself time. Simple as that. And maybe maybe that's kind of taught me and maybe my generation kind of a lesson is that uh yeah, if you wanna be on time for something, you gotta show up early. You gotta leave early, you gotta get up early, you gotta to go to work early, you gotta do you know I like I finish work at five, I'm not home till six, six thirty. Right? So it's like you value you kind of value that time in between.
0: That's really interesting. I mean that okay. I got to say, for all my nay saying about generations, that is truly a difference because even people who were rebellious and thought that they were environmentally conscious, everyone had to have a car. If like if you didn't have a car, it's like you didn't you didn't rate. And I got to say, kudos to you. I think that's awesome because I actually got rid of a car recently and um, I try to get around either ets bike or walk everywhere i go it's not always possible i've got a i've got a 3 year old and he will cry about it a lot but um actually he loves the bus but i think that's that's fantastic and i think that the world will be a better place for that <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a positive note but we could have do you do have anything like else I mm
1: mean, culturally cultural differences like oh. i mentioned like uh, latin america um um, millennials, we are more like entrepreneurs and more prompt to travel abroad. But I think it's ha- all has to do with the economical situation of our countries, more compared to European and North American um, millennials. And I don't know which any any other difference you guys can think of.
3: With the whole like my name tag thing that I said, has like I think a big difference for like living in Canada and even in North America is you kind of i mean it, maybe it's a, maybe it's a millennial thing with my latte but um maybe it's just me looking at someone and just kind of judging them by how they treat other people as opposed to how much money they make or what kind of job they have i think that's a very millennial thing
0: really so tell tell me more about that like, like for you know,
3: like for example i i i know someone who is also the same age as me actually he's a little bit younger than i am um and he's just he's just like a vile mean spirited person i won't obviously say anybody's name but um but and people around him see that and they and they they they're different around him and they treat him differently and i mean even if you come from a different country i think if you were to meet this person you'd be like wow this guy's really and he makes a ton of money he's like he's he's up there he makes a lot a lot of money but people look at him and they're just like yeah you know he's not a really nice guy i don't really want to be friends with him whereas i think that i personally maybe it's my generation thing like i said value how you treat other people. Like if I meet someone and they're like, yeah, I, I'm part-time at Burger King, but they're the nicest people in the world. I want to keep them in my circle of friends. 100%. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very millennial thing. Cause even if you grew up like a baby boomer or even Gen, maybe not, maybe not gen X, but baby boomer, like my parents or like even like, you know, that, that era, yes. you'd look at someone and they're like, they could be the nicest person in the world, but they could
0: be a bum and you look past them. You Absolutely. I love this. I've got another thing in common with with millennials as a Gen Xer because I've definitely noticed that with baby boomers is the social class divisions are just so huge, and I was I was raised with that for sure.
1: And I think in Ecuador it's like that too. Right
2: in Ecuador it's yeah. the same, and it, and I would even say it's probably worse in Ecuador than it is here. It's a very
0: well the social the divisions in social class are more are there's more inequality.
2: It's, it's It even goes to the point where, per se, people with more money, more upscale, will not even hang out, will not even be in the same place of other people yeah. that maybe are not as middle class or don't have as much money. Like, it's a it's almost like segregation, in a sense, you know. Which is kind of ending a little bit. With our generation, it's, it's different. Like, you don't see that as much. But my mom told me, like, oh, you know, she wasn't allowed to hang out with certain kind of people and my dad wasn't allowed to hang out with certain kind of girls and you know it's kind of like you kind of marry into your own social status and economical status and it's
3: like when you're a kid and you have your birthday and you're you know you're like you're a little kid and your your friends come over to your birthday party and then your mom and dad right away know they're like oh i don't like that boy (laughs) (laughs) that's a very that's an that's a very older generation thing i don't think that that kind of stuff happens as much now even when i was a kid i remember my mom and dad being like watch out for that guy there. Okay? Yeah, you don't you don't hang out with him. But now
0: it's yeah. I I I I totally agree and I I mean raising kids now, I I think about that all the time. I I actually go out of my way um to make sure that doesn't happen because I grew up with that too. And this constant like looking and 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 judging, right? People for their social class or uh, ethnic, racial backgrounds. What clubs do you belong to? Um I mean, maybe maybe it was my generation that started to really rebel against that. And now it's finally filtering down. And hopefully that that um, continues to 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 be the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, Any last last notes?
2: Just had this thing in my head where, like, I remember people saying that, like Daniel said something about like, oh, uh, Baby boomers complain that millennials don't even want to like move out, like they want to stay at home. And it's funny because in my country, in our culture, you like parents would rather you stay with them until you get married or you are actually like very successful, where you can buy your own stuff. Like parents will tell you, like, don't move, stay with
1: us. Or even yeah. if you're successful, if you're not married, why are you moving out why of the house? <laughs> yeah. But
0: could that be? Could that be a? cultural conservatism, you know, where you don't want your children living with someone they're not married to, or could it be that, or could it be, or, or is it, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I, but see, I have people that like their parents are not in any way like religious in that way. They just, they like staying with their parents, their parents like their kids staying with them.
3: Kind of wish I did that. I kind of wish I stayed at home a little longer. I moved out when I was nineteen, and oh yeah, I look at my friends who did that. And I'm like, I should have done the same thing.
1: <laughs> did you get kid out of the house when you were eighteen?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, well, it was that was another thing uh, that was typical of our generation was um, <clears throat> if you didn't move out when you were eighteen, like there was probably something wrong with you. But also, you know, we didn't have a sort of financial awareness, right? And I think that the pressures, like you said. Madeline like the pressures on your generation in terms of uh, uh, money are just greater um, yeah. we could afford to waste a lot of money because things just weren't that expensive I just still, I still can't get over it like I mean I remember I'd get and this is just like I mean, I'm talking like 20 years ago yeah just 20 years ago like I get like a nice lunch and and coffee and $2 and, and you know, I'm, it's still made like $7 now. It was just like, now it's like you go to Starbucks, Starbucks and like a coffee is like $5 or something. It's insane. Um, on behalf of Deanna and I, uh, uh, of word salad, we want to really thank Daniel and Madeline for joining us today. This has been a fascinating interview. really great I feel like conversation. I've, I've learned I've learned a really great <laughs> conversation. I've learned a lot about millennials. Maybe you guys have learned something about Gen X. And I, you know, honestly, I feel like it leaves me with a little bit more belief that the millennial thing actually exists, and with more sort of hope about millennials as thanks a generation. For having us. So thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Thank guys. you. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Word Salad, where we bring you all the words, all the best words. So this segment is called Last Bites, and it's where we talk about words that have been ringing in our eardrums for weeks. Words and phrases we just can't stop thinking about. Now, as tempted as I am to throw down about kofifi or cofefe, however you're supposed to say that, I've got something else on my mind, y'all. That's right. Y'all. As in the supposedly grammatically incorrect second-person plural pronoun typically used in Southern Appalachian and or African-American dialects in the United States. So I was born in Texas and raised in Oklahoma, so y'all comes naturally to me. I grew up yalling and fixin' to and hollering at people, and I never thought there was anything unique about that until I went off to university in the North and I got mocked for it. And as you can probably tell from my accent, I spent the next few years trying to overcorrect for any original variations in my speech. Y'all has been, until very, very recently, a linguistic signifier of backwardsness. And that's what I'm interested in. I think it's starting to change, if not changed for good. Now, as a friend of mine, uh, we'll call him John. Actually, his name is John. He told me to go ahead and discuss this with him. So he's a a fellow Southerner, and uh, he's actually from North Carolina, and he put it recently. He said, the use of y'all comes accompanied with a feeling of shame when he uses it. To put it bluntly, it's kind of a redneck-y thing to say. Now, John told me that... He's a linguist, okay? So he tells me that that North Americans tend to not look very kindly upon dialectical variants. It's, uh, It's a marker of difference, and we tend to be a little suspicious of difference. Accents and regional slang connote a lack of education and low social class. Now, sometimes the bias against regionalism is implicit, but sometimes it's right in your face. I can't tell you how many times someone has... Complimented, and that's, uh, I put quotes around that, complimented me on how slight my oaky accent is. You talk about microaggressions. Anyway, I don't want to get too high on my high horse here because for all the biases against American dialectical variances, there is plenty of pushback. Some people think that Southern accents in particular are charming. And then there's this element of redneck pride. That, that is throughout country music that flaunts its y'alls for the world to see. Here's a good example. This is uh, Chris Cagle's 2005 hit, Hey Y'all Watch This, in which he embraces all the clichés of Southern culture. Hard drinking, pickups, guns, Leonard Skinner, and even a clash with the law. The song is a play on an old joke I remember from learning in elementary school. What are the last words of a redneck? Hey y'all, watch this. So here's a little of Hey, Y'all Watch This by Chris Cagle.
1: I pulled up to a cattle guard, got out, opened up the gate. I drove down a long dirt road to the banks of an old two-acre lake. We had...
0: That was Hey Y'all, Watch This by Chris Cagle from 2005. Now, before we get any further, we should talk a little bit about where y'all comes from. As usual, there's a bit of a dispute. Some people say it's from Scots-Irish, and some people say it's from Africa. Now, one supposition is that the term evolved from the scots Ulster term, yeaw, and that's Y-E-A-W. Y-E-A-W. Now, I'm just going to quote a summary of the work of a linguist named Cynthia Bernstein, who wrote an article called Grammatical Features of Southern Speech. Y'all might, could, and fixin' to. It's really hard for me to say that without a southern accent. Let me try that again. Y'all might, could, and fixing to. Okay, there there you go. I worked on that. All right, so (laughs) here's Bernstein. She says, quote, Scots-Irish immigrants to the southern United States frequently use the term y'all. Some evidence suggests that y'all could have evolved from "yea" due to the influence of African slaves who may have adapted the Scots-Irish term. An alternate theory is y'all is a calc. And uh, this is me jumping in here again. A calc is sort of when one language picks up something um, just kind of imitate something from another language. So continue with the quote here. An alternate theory is that y'all is a calc of Gola and Caribbean Creole via earlier dialects of African American English. In any case, y'all is an original form deriving from indigenous processes of grammar and morphological change, not from input of other English dialects. So there you go. So y'all is a very um, a unique form of Southern English that has some combination of Scots-Irish and African-American dialects. Now, someone on the Wikipedia page for y'all wrote that y'all, when it's used, creates a sort of warmth and solidarity with the interlocutor. And here's the interesting thing. Its frequency, unlike other dialectical utterances, the frequency of y'all is increasing. In 1996, 49% of non-southerners reported using y'all or you all in conversation and 84% of southerners reported usage, and both percentages showed an increase over a previous study. So that, and that was 1996, so it was already on the rise in 1996. And that leads me back to the conversation I had with my Southern friend and colleague, John, a North Carolinian who was surprised to see its use exploding on the Internet. And now here's where things get really interesting. Another friend said that y'all has been taken up as standard usage among feminist and queer communities. And then there's even an article that someone linked to arguing that y'all was a feminist pronoun. And I'm just going to read a quote again because I think that this kind of gets at this phenomenon that I've certainly observed. And then I guess I'm not the only one because John also observed it. And this is from the journalist named Margaret Eby writing in Brooklyn Magazine. So I'm just going to let her um, take over. And she says – she prefaces by saying that she's from Alabama. So you know you got to put in your bona fides there if you're – uh, a y'all user. Okay. So she says, quote, uh, regional bias aside, y'all has won over on you guys. It's a feminist pronoun. It treats all genders equally. It's microaggression free. No matter what your audience's identity, y'all has you covered. It manages to be both friendly and respectful to indicate an inclusiveness that the other popular options do not and acknowledge a spectrum of genders that ranges beyond you guys or the hokier but still in use you guys and gals. In a pinch, you can even use y'all to address a single person, unorthodox usage and hotly contested but still available, or make a more sweeping all y'all. So here's the interesting thing. like I actually remember hearing only in very rural Oklahoma hearing um, people say, Y'all uh, to one person. And in particular, I remember one time when someone was addressing me and saying, Do you, you know, y'all, y'all come down from wherever. And I kind of looked around. I was like, well, who's the other who, – who else are you talking to? It's just me. And I realized that y'all was used as a singular, but it was actually used as a sign of respect. So almost like um, usted in Spanish means, you know, it's a sort of sign of respect or vous. In French. And here's the thing. So, John's Facebook feed, when he, he, he posted something on this, he said, um, What, you guys, what is going on here that y'all is becoming this standardized usage on the internet? And it, feel, it filled up with people echoing the sentiment that y'all was now the correct and inclusive way to address people in the second person plural. Why? Because it didn't have the guys na- noun attached to it. Guys, guys. It didn't say guys. And that got me wondering, though, if, if what made y'all the inclusive pronoun was its lack of guys, what do we think about guys? I mean, is guys necessarily in- indicative of masculine anymore? I mean, how many times have you heard a woman or a girl refer to a group of other women or girls as you guys, hey, you guys, right? <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard that before. All right. I've thought of this about this a lot myself. Um, I coach an under eight soccer team that is split 50-50 between girls and boys. I often find myself yelling, come on, you guys, because when I've said y'all, people look at me funny. Like, what is wrong with that guy? What kind of backwards redneck is that, is that coach? So maybe y'all is the future, which is fine by me. As long as I can start saying things like, I'll holler at you later, or I'm a fixin' to, without feeling like a backwards redneck. Y'all send us your thoughts on Facebook, CGSR Word Salad, or tweet at me at scissortail74. We love to hear your words, all your best words, and in the meantime, hey y'all, hold my beer and watch this.